0: Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, privileged to share with you guys today some words from Jesus, but uh, before that, I want to kind of let you guys know what I've been up to, um, and I want to tell you, uh, I don't usually do this when I'm asked for your prayers. I, I got back from, uh, from Guatemala uh, last night and actually hit the hay about 4 a.m. this morning, so running on a little bit of sleep deprivation, but I'm excited to be here. And uh, I know that God has me, has us in this place for this particular moment. So I'm not scared, I'm not apprehensive, but I appreciate prayers just for strength and focus because on two hours of sleep, your mind gets a little bit crazy sometimes. So, um, you know, so uh, as I said, I was in Guatemala. Uh, I tried to every year and a half or two years ago. I change, I switch uh, from this set of tools with six strings to to, to this set of tools, a uh, tool that looks like a shovel. And uh, in case you're wondering, I'm not very good with a shovel, um, but I go down to Guatemala. I try to go every, once every 18 months, once every two years. I got some pictures from this week. It was a really special week. Um, this was uh, one of the work sites we worked on. The, the mother's name was Catarina. She had four beautiful, I think four beautiful children. Um, Let's just cycle through these. That's my son, Levi, um, moving some cinder blocks. That's the before picture, by the way. Afterwards, he wasn't uh, smiling so much. Robin Bateman from our church. Um, this is the family's home, and then right outside it, you can see we're building them. A member of our community, Mike Overstreet, and Zyra was with us, um, just holding the kids. That's one of the, one of the children. They were, they were beautiful children. Whew. Hard week, but a full week. Um, let's just hold there. Um, actually, next slide, Ramsey, if we can um, just... Is that the last one? Okay. Um, just a word. So I go down. Um, we serve with Solomon's Porch. That's our, our ministry down there, led by Lloyd and Melanie Monroe, who are part of our community. We've sent a... a Uh, all kinds of volunteers that go down there for a week, but occasionally some of our community members go down there and they stay for a lot longer. We've had a couple people. And uh, the young lady in the Florida State Seminole shirt, you might recognize her. It's Lindsay Newberry. She used to sing up here a lot. She used to serve in in senior high and in junior high as well. She is uh, living down there now, open-ended. She went down there with no return ticket. And uh, she's not paid. So... Um, we support this ministry. Um, If you want to support Lloyd and Melanie, they have a website. Um, But also, you can support them by going. We go twice a year, okay? This is a shameless plug, right? (laughs) We go twice a year. We took uh, seven people, including myself, and I'm telling you, not not a one of us are construction workers, okay? Uh, Much less myself, but we go down there with hearts that are, that are full and willing to help. And that's all it takes. So, um, you know, we, we, we like bribing people here. So when I was here, when I was down there, Lloyd uh, gave me a T-shirt, a Solomon's Porch T-shirt. Uh, hotel California, that's, a, that's the hotel they own. So I'm going to give this T-shirt away. Does so, I mean, anybody want a T-shirt? Okay, you can have this T-shirt if you have not gone to Guatemala before and you're willing to put your, give me your email to get on a Guatemala interest meeting. Are you, anybody willing to do that? First person that gives up here with your, with your email that has not gone to Guatemala gets a shirt. So you better start writing. Don't raise your hand, write. <laughs> if you're not gonna go to Guatemala, if you're not interested, you're not able to, anyway, someone just do it, and then uh, you can get the shirt. First person that comes up here. So, uh, I'm going to read the text while you guys are doing that that we're going to look at today. It's in Matthew 5. It'll be on the screens. And um, then we're going to jump into some of the words of of Jesus. So we're going to start in verse um, 21. Oh, I'm sorry, not in 21, 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, Jesus is saying, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his, heart, in, in his heart. Oh, 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 oh. All right. Hey, I got one more at the eleven. so now you guys know. Paul's, Paul's putting his name in anyway. All right. Good job. Another one bites the dust. That's what I like to say. So, uh, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he goes on. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her To commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. These are hard words that Jesus gives us today. uh, But they're words that we need to hear. So I wanna I wanna take a a step back. I I listened to Pastor Mark's message on anger, love that message. Great job. It was awesome. and uh, I want to kind of extend some of his ideas and, 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 and also uh, put some of my own in, in there. And I want to start with this idea because when I started studying the Sermon on the Mount, a couple things became very important for me to grasp uh, before, before I could really understand the explosiveness of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to start with is how sometimes church and, and Christians, sometimes how we get Jesus a little wrong, okay? So... Sometimes we talk about Jesus as God, right? Jesus was God. He was fully God, fully man, right? And we need this image of Jesus as God, okay? Because Jesus as God is the only thing that can save us. Jesus as God is the only thing that can give us eternal life because only God can do that, right? A human being can't give another human being eternal life. Another human being cannot pay for our sins, cannot forgive everything we've ever done. Just can't. Has to be God. Jesus as God. It's important. But sometimes when we only talk about Jesus as God, when we only talk about the Jesus that forgives our sin, sometimes it gets a little bit separated from real life. Because God is, is so powerful when He's out there and He is uh, forgiving our sins. But the question that gets asked is, but does it have anything, does he have anything to do with our life, our day-to-day life? Can he help me now? Can he give me wisdom now? Or is he just God? Is he just there to get me into heaven? Okay? If you only think about Jesus as God, you get a God sometimes that that doesn't deal with the, the blood and guts and the muck and mire of your everyday life. But sometimes we we err to the other side and we can talk about Jesus as man and teacher. And again, this image of Jesus is critical okay? because this Jesus, fully God, fully man, he knows what it's like to live in this body. He knows what it's like to wake up tired. He knows what it's like to hunger. He knows what it's like to be encased in human frailty. Everything that you've experienced, the Bible says, Jesus has experienced. We need this Jesus because he tells us, I know the way your world works. I can guarantee you that that as crazy as the people in your workplace are, they were just as crazy 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time. Okay? That passive-aggressive person that works down the cube from you, there was a passive-aggressive person right down the street, in villages, in Nazareth, in Galilee. This Jesus knows our life. We need this Jesus, but we can't have just this Jesus because we need the Jesus that can forgive our sins. What we need and what we need to always keep in tension and in balance is the fact that Jesus is both. And when we look at both and we we focus in on this, this narrow overlap it's actually not a narrow overlap because it's both at once, but it, it's a Venn diagram, or so, so bear with me. We need to remember that Jesus is both of these things. So when we think about this Jesus that knows how the world works, it's really cool because that means God knows how the world works, and if he's gonna tell us how to live, we should probably listen. Instead of listening to your, your Uncle Joe who has lived a lot and he's gonna tell you, hey, I'm gonna tell you the way the world works. You know, Uncle Joe, I appreciate your life experience, but I'd rather learn from Jesus because he has a little bit more experience being the creator of the universe than any of my crazy relatives. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we have to realize that Jesus is telling us this is the way the world works, this is the way the world can work, but he's telling us that as God. And when I wrapped my head around that, that God just wasn't there to get me into heaven, but he wanted to tell me how to live my life and the type of life that is possible. And I cleared the deck and I said, I got to figure this thing out. And so a few weeks ago when we started this series, I said... Uh, Pastor Mark invited me to give a few words about about the series. And I said that what was at stake in this series was that Jesus was telling us how to live the good life. That what's at stake in the Sermon on the Mount is what is the good life and who defines the good life. Do we define the good life by our, our ideas about morality and about what's right and what's good? Or does Jesus define what the good life is? Now, if you were a Jew, as Jesus was, The way you define the good life was by using three major things. You use the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or the law, the instruction. And you looked at it and you said, man, there's commandments. I should live my life by them because this is how the good life is achieved. You also would examine the prophets because the prophets came along and said, uh, essentially, this is how you're getting it wrong. This is what you're not doing. This is the heart of the law. That you're missing. So all those prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Micah, Amos, on and on and on, they come up and they show up periodically in Israel's history and in our history too, and they go, you're missing the point, okay? And so you would look at that and you would go, oh, I need to remember the heart of everything. And then lastly, you would look at uh, something called the books of wisdom, wisdom in general, which isn't just like a good catchphrase, like don't eat yellow snow, It's like, it's like how, when I look around me and I see the world around me, how do I live a life that's pointed Godward? So it's these three things that are working together. You look at the law, you read the prophets, and then you wake up and you look around and you read other people that have looked around like Proverbs and you go, man, this is what people say. This is how they do life people who are pointing their lives towards God. Now, what's interesting about Jesus is that he shows up and he embodies and fulfills and explodes all three of these things. Because he says, you know, I have come to fulfill the law. Everything that you wanted to know about Torah, about instruction, watch me and I'll do it. And he embodies the, the character of a prophet. He declares, or the first things he declares in all of the gospels is, The kingdom of God is here. Or the kingdom of God is within you, like a prophet would do. The kingdom is here. Now live your life according to the kingdom. What's the heart of the instruction? And then what he is doing over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount is he's basically gonna say, look at the life around you. Look at how the world works around you. Here's what's right and here's what's wrong with it. And so he is showing up essentially saying, I'm gonna show you how to live the good life by embodying the three things that matter most to a Jew. Torah, prophets, wisdom. And we should take notice. And they should take notice. So before we uh, really jump into the text, I I wanna bring out one more thing that Jesus is doing here. Because... um, Pastor Mark I, I hinted at this last week, and, and I'm going to hint at it again. To Actually, I'm not going to hint at it. I'm going to tell you. The Sermon on the Mount is not just about good behavior. Because over and over again, Jesus says, you know, you can get the behavior right, but Jesus is interested in what's going on in your heart. That is a high bar to set. Jesus is like, don't just not call somebody an idiot, but get rid of anger. Get rid of it. He takes it to a whole new level. And, and I, I want to show you uh, what where he's going. And I think one of the things that's a backdrop to, to what's going on, what God is doing through Jesus, through the sermon, uh, and you can find it in one of the prophets. Jeremiah 31, this is a beautiful passage of scripture, and it's so critical, and shameless plug again, if you come on Wednesday night, you're gonna hear this scripture again in the, in the context of the story of God. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them where? On their hearts. Okay? The Sermon on the Mount is not just about good behavior. It's about getting the law of God written on your heart, which is altogether a more challenging teaching because we can fake our way through being right, but you can't fake a bad heart. So back to Matthew. First section, there's two little sections that, uh, that we're just going to look at here. Um, first one, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his where? Heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So I, I don't think I need to go too deep into our cultural preoccupation with lust, Um. With physical images. Uh, I think we all live in the 21st century. It's not an easy time to (sighs) accept a teaching like this. Okay? It's not. Um, And I don't need to explain it too much, it's pretty plain. Jesus says, don't commit adultery. Adultery is illicit sex, sex that's not between two committed. People, husband, wife, That's just there. But I said it's, it's not about the behavior, okay? Ultimately, the sermon is not about good behavior, but, but let me tell you, behavior matters, okay? It's not just about only cultivating something in your heart and not letting your exterior change. Um, behavior, especially in regards to lust, um, really matters. Lust. I was trying to think about this. Uh, lust is is when desire overshadows reality. Like lust is when you don't look at. Uh, I'm just going to take it out of I'll take it out of sex for a while. But like 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 lust was when <laughs> I guess we came back. We got to the Miami airport last night, right? And if you've ever been to Guatemala, or ever been to a foreign country or a country that just really lives life differently, there's certain things about the states that you just miss, right? Uh, like, I mean, being able to drink out of a water fountain, you know, without feeling like, okay, I'm going to be in bed now for two days, like, or leaning over a toilet for two days, you know? Um, but I think one of the things that, like, lust got away from us is, like, we were in Miami Airport, and we saw, like, this stir-fry place, you know? And we're like, like four of us were like, we really want stir fry. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we got some and, and I, I took like two bites of it. And I'm like, this was, a, this was an awful mistake. I did not want stir fry, but there was a desire in my that was just like, I, I want something in my body that I haven't had for a while and the food is not good. The food's not good for me, but... The desire for it consuming, consuming, and the, immediately I took like two bites, and I looked at my traveling companions, I was like, this was a mistake, because I really didn't like stir fry, but I got consumed with the desire for it, because of just some preoccupation I have. But that's kind of what lust is. Lust is when you look at a person, and you don't look at them with commitment in your heart, you look at them with consumption in your heart. How can I consume this person physically? And it's not good. That's not the way we're meant to live. Um, And so Jesus, uh, he he says, uh, you know, if it's better to lose an eye or a hand and I think he's getting at what the stakes are. And, and Mark did such a great job last week of talking about the science behind anger. I'm gonna talk about a little bit of the science behind lust because there's some interesting science behind lust. And you just gotta hear this, especially, and I don't mean to be this way because I know women can have lust. It's, it's a human condition thing, but let's face it. Guys, there's not a one of us that shouldn't have a right eye cut off or a right eye gashed out if we took Jesus' words literally. Amen? So in our bodies, when we are engaged in the physical act of, cons- uh, of consummating our lust, dopamine gets released in our brain. That's what makes us feel good. That's what makes us, it's almost like a drug rush. Okay? And we... Um, we tend maybe to think that, that that is just an isolated feeling, that that makes us feel good. But what science and neurology tells us is that every time that dopamine gets released, it is connected with, with whatever image you are using or person you are using to consummate your lust. Do you understand? So if it is pornography, when that dopamine gets released, there is a neurological connection between that image on that computer and the pleasure center of your brain. And I I thought of it this week um, as like a little river, you know, just a little stream that gets connected from your heart, your mind, to that image. But have you ever seen what a river does time and time and time again. Have you ever seen a river cut through stone? Every time you associate that image, that person, that thing with the pleasure center in your brain, that channel gets cut a little bit deeper. And neurologically, your brain gets connected to the object of your lust. Neurologically. This is the way we're wired, folks. Folks. And if you are dabbling in this, you are, getting, uh, you are getting roped into a channel. That's the way you experience pleasure. That's not the way God intended for you to experience pleasure. What's more interesting is that that's not the only thing that gets released in your brain. There are uh, two other chemicals that get released in our brain called oxytocin and vasopressin. And these are chemicals of attachment. These are released actually during pregnancy, but they're also released during orgasm. And they are what connects us to a human being. Moms, this is what connects you to your child. You see that your brain is flooded with oxytocin, vasopressin. You look at that baby and you're like, ah. Okay? But that's what gets released in our brains during um, during during orgasm. So if you you consummate your lust with somebody that you are not meant to attach yourself with, you know what your brain is doing? Your brain releases all these things about attachment, but then you look at this person or this image, and you're like, I don't want to be attached to this. And there is an extreme disconnect. We're not wired for that. We are wired to feel these chemicals and then look at the person and go like, I'm attached to you. I am with you. And if you open your eyes and you see an image or a different person, there's something that just goes haywire in our bodies. You know? It's like a physical conviction of sin almost, because we're not meant to feel that way. Now, so Jesus says, um, cut your eye off, or cut your eye out, cut your hand off, and it's, it's, it's important that he says right eye and right hand. In the ancient world, the right, and still in, in the Near East, your, your right hand Your right anything is the sign of dominance. I'm a left-hander. I always hate that part of the Bible because I'm like, come on, man. The right hand, the right eye is a symbol of strength, a symbol of security, a symbol of, of dominance. Okay, And Jesus says, get rid of it. And this is where, again, I want to reemphasize, the, the sermon is not about good behavior, but behavior matters because sometimes we need to change the external in order to change the internal. So what I would say is if you're struggling with, with lust, right out, the, right out of the gate, I would say simply this. What are you willing to give up to sacrifice to let this stop dominating you? Okay, okay because we all have these things called laptops and computers and Wi-Fi. And they are the ways that we experience security. They are the ways that we get our work done. They are important things to us, but for a lot of us who struggle with lust, they are the instruments and the tools that feed it. So I ask you, what are you willing to do if you're struggling to get over this? Are you willing to close your laptop to give it to a friend and say, you know what? I have this thing at home, but I need you to take this from me from 6 p.m. till 8 a.m. every day. And you go, oh man, Pastor Eric, that's so inconvenient. Well, try cutting off your right hand. <laughs> For some of us, hear me, we need to get way past the language of what's convenient. Because for some of us, that channel of dopamine is so deep. And it's hard for us to admit that we can't stop. But somebody in this room would look me in the eye if they were honest and say, I can't stop. I'm way past the language of convenience. So what are you willing to give up to get this right in your life? Not that it's about behavior but to start the process of freeing yourself. For some of us, it's not a physical tool. For some of us, it's not a laptop or a tablet. For some of us, it's our pride. Well, I'm not gonna tell anybody that I have a problem with that because I'm Mr. Look How Important I Am and I got it all together. How's that working for you? If this is a problem in your life, what are you willing to go through to say I got to get over this? And maybe I'm going to open up. I'm sorry, guys. I'm picking on you, but this is the way it is today. You need to get over your like manly exterior, and I don't need anybody, and I'm not going to tell anybody what's going on with me. And you sit down with somebody—a pastor, or a professional counselor, or a friend—and go, I got a problem, and I can't get over this. I'm going to be vulnerable. And I don't have it all together because this thing's got me. It's got me. We need to get past the language of convenience because it's not convenient to admit you have a problem. But it's the start of, of the healing process. One last uh, word about, about lust. And, and I, I hope I've made my point. But the, one of the things that... Uh, that always resonated with me. Anybody remember the second Batman movie, right, with Joker? I mean, the good Batman movies, right? <laughs> There's a line at the end of that when uh, Christian Bale's talking to Michael Caine, and they're trying to figure out because the Joker is being bigger than anything Batman has ever fought. And uh, and Michael Caine says, uh, they're, they're dialoguing about like, Criminals and how criminals are. And Michael Caine says, uh, sir, you need to realize that some men just want to burn the forest down. And that's what lust is. If you're struggling with it, let me tell you something. It wants nothing but to burn you up. It doesn't have your good in mind. It wants to kill you. And you need to realize it. And you need to get real inconvenient and start healing. It just wants to burn the forest down. It's not something to play with. So, Jesus moves on then to to divorce, which is Much easier. Really? (laughs) Jesus. So, before we talk about divorce, uh, I want to just give you a context, a little context here. Um, So, the Pharisees, you know, we read about the Pharisees in the gospel, and and the Pharisees are the, the main religious advocates of the day. And largely, they can be divided into two camps conservative Pharisees and liberal Pharisees, and they were led uh, in this age really typically by two, two rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai and his followers were very conservative. Man, they were like, this is what the law says. This is the way we live. No foreigners, no budging, nothing. Okay, this is the way they lived their life. Um, and then Rabbi Hillel and his followers were a little bit more open to possibility. They said, man, we were a little bit willing to go. We don't really know what God is doing. Maybe God is doing something new. In fact, in the book of Acts, you encounter some of these rabbis and their approaches, and one of the approaches that typifies Hillel's followers is when the disciples are, are before the religious leaders very Hillel-ite thing that is said is they said, hey, maybe God is in this new movement of believers. Let's see what happens. If God's not in it, it's gonna fail. If God's is in it, you're not gonna stand against it. That's a very typical Hillel thing to say. Um, And we think, which is kind of weird, we think Paul claims that he's a follower of Hillel, but he acts an awful lot like a follower of Shammai. But that's another thing. This is just the way these guys interpreted the law. You had conservatives, you had liberals. Isn't that funny? Even back then. (laughs) So Jesus shows up and he says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. These are the types of issues that the Pharisees would debate. How can you divorce a woman? Okay? This is really interesting because a lot of us, I put myself in this camp, we like to think of Jesus as this really uh, progressive rabbi. Kind of a granola type, wore like Birkenstocks, and it was like, "Cool, man, it's all good, man." And um, and we think like to think of him as a, a progressive, forward-thinking rabbi. In a lot of ways, he really was, because he was like, "Hey, I'll eat with sinners. Bring them on." You know, a conservative rabbi would be like, "I don't know about that." But Jesus is like, "Bring them on." But in this case, Jesus is not progressive. Jesus is about as conservative as you can get. And he's like, because if you looked at some of the rabbinical writings, they would, they would say, yeah, uh, you can divorce, a man can divorce a wife if, if she makes his breakfast wrong. There's actually rabbinical writings that said, if a man essentially is unpleased with his woman. Now, that was, a, that was a liberal approach to the law. But the conservatives were a little bit more, no, 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 no. Jesus goes this way on this, which is interesting. You can't box him in. You can't box Jesus in. So he takes the, the question of divorce in the window of it, and he closes it really small because he says you can only divorce a woman if she's unfaithful for sexual immorality. What's interesting uh, is that the word he uses for uh, immorality or being unfaithful is the word porneia, Anyone guess what word comes from that? Okay, that's not the connection that he's making. But you can make a case that Jesus is using language uh, that actually restricts the act of immorality to incest. That's how small the window is, Jesus is saying. He's not just saying sexual immorality. He's saying extreme immorality. Jesus is saying, I am pro marriage and I am anti divorce. Um, Jesus, in a sense, is grounding divorce in the covenant. God is a covenant. God, we even, we sing about it all the time. The covenant comes from the story of Abraham and God in Genesis 12 and 15. And one of my favorite theologians says that one way to understand the covenant between God and Abraham is to understand it in terms of three words, with, for, and unto. That when God makes a covenant with Abraham, God promises three things. He says, I will be with you. Forever. I will be with you. I will not desert you. God says, I will be for you. I am on your side always. And then He says, I am with and for you unto salvation. So, in other words, it's not just with and for so we can hang out and watch Netflix all night and like catch up on all the cool shows. It is a point. There is a point to us being together. There is a point to me being for you, and it is for salvation. And Jesus essentially says, this is what marriage should be about. That when you get married, you covenant with somebody to be with them, to be for them, unto salvation. Now, are there times when this breaks down? Yes. And I have family members uh, in my world that I could tell you have got have gotten lovingly divorced. But in this text, and maybe for those of you who are married, or maybe those who are contemplating marriage, I want to just tell you what you're getting into. Okay, Jesus is saying marriage is a covenant. And when you sit down with somebody you're married to, you look at them and you say, I am with you. I am for you. I'm on your side. And I'm on your side and with you for your salvation, for your goodness, for your relationship with God. That's what things look like. Um, I was trying to think, you know, so we, these are two really hard topics. and And I was trying to figure out what connects them. And one of the ways you could say they're connected is that you're you're talking about men and women and relationships um, and ways that human beings can misuse each other. Lust is a way that I stop looking at you as a human being and I look at you as an object, a tool to satisfy my needs. Lust dehumanizes people. It objectifies them. And marriage, especially in this world, marriage made a woman vulnerable. Just look at that language. If you divorce a woman, you know it's possible that you make her into an adulteress. So in a way, it dehumanizes a woman. And if you take the liberal approach, it dehumanizes simply so a guy can get a better breakfast made or something like that. So what I started thinking of is, you know, I started this off and I said, you know, I traded, I traded uh, tools, this tool, this guitar tool, for this tool. Um, but you know, people, human beings aren't tools. We're not. So when you employ lust, when you allow lust to take root in your brain, you'll start looking at other human beings as tools to satisfy your desire Sometimes you have to be honest, and if you're contemplating, I would say maybe you know people who are contemplating divorce from a from a place of greed. And they're just looking at another human being as a tool for them to be set free. But we're not tools. Remember what we are, folks? We're icons. We're reflections of God. And so Jesus is saying in this part of the sermon, any activity that reduces an icon, an image bearer, to a tool, you better run away because that's not the way we're meant to live. Humans, every person you look at is an image bearer of God. And anything that detracts from that idea is not what God's heart is. I don't know how to, uh, I don't have funny Pinterest pictures of <laughs> to show you after a message like this. But here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. If you're struggling with lust, men, man or woman, you gotta get help. Could just be talking to a friend, but for some of us, that channel's pretty deep, and you gotta, you gotta raise a white flag I surrender I surrender get inconvenient for those of you who are married or or, or contemplating marriage um recognize the covenant that you're in also understanding that things happen um but I'm gonna pray um Yeah, I'm gonna pray.